Welcome. 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 You're listening to Built by Us. Built by Us. Built by Us. Built by Us. Hello, everyone. It's Alyssa and Takari here with another action alert. Of course. Of course. And today we're here to tell you that, unfortunately, Jim Crow 2.0, a repackaged batch of bad bills meant to suppress votes, is back. Keyword back. We actually saw this play back in 2021 and we won. Yes, we have. And with our listeners' help, we can hopefully defeat these bills again. Yes, exactly. So this year, these anti-voter measures are titled Senate Bill 88, the Elections Integrity Act, also known in the House as HB 304, and Senate Bill 89, Prohibit Private Money in Elections. Right. And as a reminder, these bills would suppress ballot access in North Carolina by making voting by mail more confusing than it already is and potentially defunding local elections in our already underserved communities. Great, right? You're probably asking yourself, now why would our legislators even bring forward bills that make voting confusing and take money away from our elections? That is a great question, listener. And it's one we're actually wondering too. So the real truth is that these bills are being written using coded language that disguises the bill as election integrity, as I said. But of course, we're still calling it Jim Crow 2.0. Oh, and and need we remind you again that we defeated this bill in 2021. Exactly. I'm starting to sense a pattern with bills this session, Zakari. Me too. Let's just call it deja vu. Yeah, that's one thing we could call it. Right. And as Alyssa mentioned, these bills are actually replicas of previous bills, SB 326 and 725 that passed the House and Senate during the 2021 session, but were vetoed by Governor Cooper. Yep. Keep listening to hear more about these bills that we've been fighting for over two years and what we need to do to finally beat them. So far in 2023, North Carolina legislators have revived a variety of anti-voter bills aimed at creating barriers to the ballot and stripping funding from our local elections. Today, we're specifically talking about SB 88, the Election Day Integrity Act, and SB 89, the Act to Prohibit Private Monies in Elections Administration. So these two bills are trying to rationalize anti-democracy efforts that we know will further suppress our voters, particularly Black and brown voters, as they always do, because that's been the ongoing strategy since 2020. Exactly. SB 88 and SB 89 will directly impact already under-resourced communities and further limit voting access for all North Carolinians as a whole. And our North Carolina legislators need to be told this. They do. Now, how will these bills suppress our votes and ballot access? Good question. Zakari, what exactly would happen if these anti-voter provisions pass and actually become law? I'm glad you asked. Let's start with SB 88, also known as HB 304 in the House. First off, SB 88 would require all absentee ballots to be received by 7.30 p.m. on election day. Now, I know that sounds like a simple time change, but this small change would likely result in thousands of ballots being rejected. Under our current state law, 
absentee ballots that are postmarked on election day and received within three days after can be counted. That entire grace period utilized by thousands of voters will be gone and so will their vote. Yep, just like that. Senate Bill 88 ignores mail processing delays that voters continue to face because we're still using snail mail. In Davidson County alone, a postmark absentee ballot received a 21 mail delivery delay to the County Board of Elections. In Stokes and Cabarrus counties, due to insufficient or unreadable postmarks by the USPS, ballots were just rejected straight out. Exactly. And beyond the obvious delays and issues, studies have shown that Senate Bill 88 is bad for voters of all political stripes. So why is it being moved forward? That's the question. While the usage of absentee ballots across political parties has varied across years, an April 2021 poll showed that 64.8% of North Carolina voters, including a 48.6 plurality of registered Republicans, opposed changing the ballot return deadline, provided they were mailed on time. Now, that's what we call bipartisan opposition. All SB 88 does is, one, strip away voter protections under the guise of election integrity, two, decrease accessibility for voters, and three, strain the time and resources of Board of Elections officials. So why would we want any of that? We wouldn't, is the thing. In case that's not enough, let's also hear from our two-time friend turn, Benjamin Negan, who actually spoke in 2021 at our Jim Crow 2.0 rally as a friend turn, warning our legislators on how this bill, in its previous form of SB 326, would affect NC voters. That's right. Ben's been organizing around this bill for over two years now. He's gone from a freshman to a senior. Take it from him. My name is Ben. I'm a current student at Appalachian State University. As a young person growing up in 2021, somebody who voted for the first time last year, I have noticed how many issues such as voter suppression can feel daunting. When they feel daunting, I have often found myself looking away, avoiding confronting these issues head on. However, I recognize my privilege in saying that. So for those who cannot simply look away, let's bring some of these bills down to earth. The time to look away ends now. Senate Bills 326, 724, and 725 were all originally part of the same bill. These bills, which now stand alone as their own pieces of legislation, are among the 400-plus anti-voter bills which have been introduced throughout 45 states this year alone. All of these bills are clear, outright efforts to suppress the vote of the most vulnerable and historically disenfranchised communities in the state. Senate Bill 326, which originated in and has passed the North Carolina Senate, requires absentee ballots that are postmarked by 7.30 p.m. on Election Day to be discarded if they are not received by election officials on Election Day. This stands in stark contrast to the three-day window, which currently stands for properly postmarked absentee ballots to be received by election officials. Senate Bill 724, which also began and passed in the North Carolina Senate, seeks to allocate taxpayer dollars towards a voter ID program to spend money on, quote, voters needing photo identification. However, the issue of required photo ID to vote is still up in the air in the court system. We can't allow ourselves to be turned away by the fact that these bills are often cloaked in mundane language and bureaucratic processes. We must be honest about the true implications that these bills hold. 
While lobbying over my years, I have often been told by lawmakers that there needs to be a more, quote, comprehensive solution to the problem. Well, here's one. Don't spend taxpayer dollars on a program for something that doesn't even exist in our state. Spend it on the mailing system infrastructure. If ballots are arriving late after election day, don't punish that voter. Work to fix the system that the mail-in ballots rely on. It is unacceptable to spend the money of those living in the worst poverty only to set them back further. Voting by mail has been a routine method of voting, which has not turned any heads. However, when record numbers of black, brown, and indigenous voters utilize the system in 2020, we see the method coming under attack. This is no coincidence. Once one election cycle ends, the next one starts. Politicians feeling this pressure turn to tactics like these to disenfranchise the voters that they see as a threat. If Senate Bill 326 was in place in 2020, over 11,000 ballots would have been thrown away. Think about how this would benefit the very politicians who have introduced and pushed this legislation. We all need to say no to Jim Crow 2.0 and stand up for absolutely each and every one's right to vote. I urge legislators to vote no to these extremely harmful pieces of legislation. Thank you. Thank you to Ben for that moving speech in front of our North Carolina legislature. Now, let's look at the other bill included in this Jim Crow 2.0 movement. Moving on to SB 89, this bill would ban certain election funding sources for under-resourced communities that help elections run safely and smoothly. A common response to us opposing this bill is, hmm, don't we want to get private big money out of politics? Well, that's the thing. Private money wouldn't even be needed in our elections if we just adequately funded them in the first place. That part. Currently, two-thirds of North Carolina counties spend less per voter than the national average. And we know that voter turnout increases when funding for elections increases which also allows local election officials to do more voter education and assist voters with disabilities. Yep. All that SB 89 would do is strip funding sources away from local election administrators without replacing them. And that just creates even greater financial challenges that are going to impact our rural and low wealth counties the most here in North Carolina. Exactly. Without the state funding to offset additional election costs, North Carolina's 100 counties will have to bear the financial burden alone. And that's honestly so sad to think about, especially when you consider stories like in 2022, Rockingham County considered eliminating three of their early voting sites due to budget shortfalls after their county commissioners were unresponsive to their, count, to their funding requests. It really took pressure from local advocacy groups to convince the county commissioners to ultimately provide them with additional funding to keep those sites open. And that's not a single story. Again, in the 2022 general election, Duplin County only had one early voting site due to a lack of funding, despite its size as the ninth largest county in land area. And despite the fact that turnout in Duplin at 48.8% is well below the statewide turnout average. Time and time again, we've seen it happen. When we defund our elections, democracy fails. In 2022, Onslow County spent the least amount of money in elections per year. And guess what? They had the lowest voter turnout in the entire state. The outcomes are obvious. 
We need to stop being reactive and start being proactive and stopping these bills from the start. Exactly. So let's hear from some North Carolina advocates that are doing just that, being proactive and stopping these bills right now. Let's hear from Courtney M. Patterson, an election administrator and board member for Lenore County Board of Elections, truly someone who's on the front line of these bills. I just feel like definitely this is another way of suppressing votes. I got a call this morning that says that we're losing an employee. This is the second employee since February that we have lost. And I'm worried right now because we lost our director. We actually lost our director to Florida. And then I lost an election specialist. I got word today that she had put in a two weeks notice. So I'm concerned that even now that I do have an applicant who looks good, the issue is gonna be whether or not we can pay what she's already making. And that's, that's just staff, that's regular staff, year-round staff. Now, I, most of these people who are in office and who are making these decisions get there by elections. Hopefully, they would like to see this process not only done fairly, but also by competent people. But in order to get competent people, you have to pay money. Counties aren't really interested in putting a lot of money in elections. The General Assembly, the legislature doesn't provide for any funding for local boards of elections. So it's all done from the county. The county put it on their back burner, even though there's a statute that says that whatever boards of elections do in terms of elections, they would pay for. But one of the things when it comes to one-stop early voting, we get a lot of, well, our county can't afford it. Actually, in 2020, I was told that uh, the county was going to be able to afford our one-stop plan that we were asking for. But, but because we had the ability to get funds from private sources, we had well over enough money through those sources. There is arguments that I hear senators and, and representatives saying, well, we don't, this influence, this outside influence on elections, everything we do, everything we do, has to be approved by the North Carolina State Board of Elections. So, I mean, that there's no way. There's no way for any kind of influence, uh, undue influence put on boards of elections to do anything but have fair elections. I think both of these bills actually amounts to voter suppression and, and that anything that an elected official would want to do is finance and the source for getting him elected or her elected. So, I mean, it's just, you know, it's just kind of crazy. Are you able to share at all what changes you think voters should expect in terms of how elections are conducted if these bills become law? Yes, one of the first things will happen, the big hit will always be that we are not going to be able to get good help as far as poll workers and judges and assistant judges are concerned. You know, folk could make more money working at a McDonald's right now than they can being a poll worker. And that's tough because a lady called me one day and said, my grandson couldn't vote because they said he wasn't registered. Now, I know I registered him on his 18th birthday and we celebrated registering this. And so I called the director and he went over and he came back and he says, 
I got it straight, Ms. Patterson said, uh, we got him voted today. So my question was, how many people walked through that place with a similar situation and was unable to vote? And we just happened to hear about that one. The quality of those people who, who make decisions as poll workers are very important. And the fact is that many, many times it is because of who we have to hire. We cannot demand real qualified people because we're not paying that kind of money. Therefore, when we look at uh, Senate Bill 89, if it's passed, you know, the public can expect worst elections, worst people as poll workers, and no disrespect to, for any individual, but it's just that we all know every day we want qualified people to do whatever work that we do, whether we go in the grocery store and buy groceries and we have to go, we don't want to cashier making mistakes, uh, so wherever we go, we want qualified people. And the way we get qualified people, we pay qualified money. As far as on Senate Bill 88, expect uh, that a lot of people will be turned down. Their votes will be turned away. They won't be in on time. And by the way, the post office, I know, I, my experience with the post office, they don't do a good job of postmarking anymore, too. And that's, I mean, that's another thing. So we can't even verify that it even, we're having trouble even now verifying that it got to the post office by a certain time. So it, it's just gonna mess things up a lot for voters. It's making it more difficult. It causes more problems. It doesn't give fairness to voters and it doesn't consider all of the pieces that a voter has to entail when it's time to vote. What would you say to our legislators who push forward this bill? I would definitely say this is the way you get elected, number one. And I'm certain that you want all fairness done there. You want a system that would allow people to vote with the least amount of restrictions on them, because that might be a vote that voted for you that got turned away. That might be a vote for you that could not get out of the rest home or maybe a vote for you that was at home sick, could not get a near relative to drop it off at the Board of Elections. You know, you need to be really considerate of people. And when it comes to funding, just remember what happened in the pandemic. Had it not been for private funding during the 2020 elections, we may have been a COVID spreader. But by having the private funds come in, we were able to hire people who could wipe down witness that we could buy pens so that everybody would keep their own pen. Everybody was given a mask and given hand sanitizers while they voted. And this was all a blessing. So, you know, in Eastern North Carolina, especially, uh, uh, voting takes place right in the peak of hurricane season. And there are many things that happen and we have to make changes. We have to make quick changes. And a lot of times having access to additional funding would make that a whole lot more possible. So if they're going to not allow funding to come from outside sources, then I think that the state General Assembly should provide a fund for elections. This was really, really helpful, Mr. Patterson. 
Zakari and I could sit here all day and talk to you about how these bills are clearly anti-voter legislation and will affect North Carolinians negatively in the future. But the truth is, regular everyday NC voters could tell you too. Exactly. This issue isn't hard to see play out in our everyday lives. These bills will silence thousands of voices, cause voter confusion, and harm small and rural counties all across North Carolina. But again, don't just take it from us. Take it from your neighbors, take it from your friends, take it from your family members. But for now, you can just take it from our own communications manager, Giselle Torres, who's joined us today to tell us a little bit more about how fast these bad bills have been moving through our legislature right under our nose. Joselle, thank you so much for being here today. Can you just tell us what's been happening in the last few weeks since we started recording? Sure thing. Now, I know y'all have been talking about Jim Crow 2.0 and specifically focusing on Senate Bill 8.8 or House Bill 304, the Election Day Integrity Act. But we've seen multiple anti-voter measures come through in the recent weeks since there's been a shift in the political makeup of the North Carolina General Assembly. With that, there's been a supermajority created, which could effectively override Governor Cooper's vetoes on anti-voter policies amongst a slew of other bad bills we're seeing across the pro-democracy sector. We have four more anti-voter bills that have come up, and I'll talk a little bit about them. The first one is HB 485. And this one attacks same day registration. So typically when you go into early voting, you're able to update your registration. Let's say you've moved or you are a college student and you're going to uh, back home or you need to update um, any other information that's on your voter registration. You can do that at early voting. It's something we've been able to do for a decade. And it's really, really helpful for folks that want a one-stop shop to be able to update their registration cast their ballot on a Saturday so they don't have to take off work because right now election day isn't a federal or state holiday. What this bill would do would actually make your same day registration ballot a provisional ballot. A provisional ballot is different from a casted ballot because those provisional ballots actually get lumped together at the closing of that voting day and they get sent to the respective county board of elections to be verified. Now, that's an additional process for folks that typically need something a little bit more than updating their registration, and those are safe for extreme measures. This law would take your casted ballot that you normally would cast on same-day registration during early voting and change that. And it's just adding time-consuming barriers to our election administrative processes. North Carolina's same-day registration policy is already more restricted than that of all other states with the same policy. Other states with same-day registration allow it on election day too, whereas North Carolina only permits it during early voting. So we just have to think about why are they specifically attacking same-day registration and early voting? And there's another early voting bill to go with that, and it's called HB 303 or SB 123. And what that would do is actually shore in how many days are during early voting during an election period. And so now during early voting, you're not gonna be able to go in, update registration and cast a normal ballot. And you're gonna have a shorter window of when early voting is. For almost a decade, over a decade, it's been 17 days. And now it'd be 
be shortened down to 11 days, which would only move it to two Saturdays before the election. That's basically cutting your time in half. And like I mentioned, everybody uses early voting. People that have jobs, multiple generations in their household, folks that are disabled and, and need a lot of time and support to be able to get to the polling location to cast their ballot, working families, plenty of people use early voting. It's trusted, it's something we've been doing for a long time, and voters of all political affiliations use it. The last attack is called SB 352, and this would remove foreign citizens from voter rolls. It would result in legitimate naturalized voters being flagged for removal as non-citizens. And the rationale behind it is rooted in disproven claims that North Carolina's voting roads are full of undetected non-citizens. And that's just not true. What this bill would do is single out these non-citizens for differential treatment and make their personal information, including name and address, public, potentially exposing them to harassment and violence. We know that North Carolina's immigrant community and naturalized citizens already are exposed to a ton of anti-immigrant rhetoric and hate. And what this could do is allow groups to weaponize that information and spread false claims about these quote unquote undetected non-citizens on the voting rolls. It unfairly subjects these immigrant communities to possible arrests and persecution and puts voters of colors in immigrant communities through a burdensome process to prove their eligibility that other voters just don't face. Giselle, thank you for all of that information on all those bills, but that's that's a lot. We we started this episode thinking that we were fighting two bills and now we're fighting six and who knows what's to come. Listeners, in case um, in case what's happening here isn't clear, Giselle's telling us that since we've been recording and editing this episode alone, four new bad bills that she just described to you have entered and moved through our, our North Carolina General Assembly thanks to a supermajority of legislators that are overriding our governor's vetoes on bills that we already know are bad. And so our legislators are using this supermajority to go against the will of the NC people and blatantly mess with our elections. Jozel, can you can you honestly just tell us what's coming next? Because there's no way that this is the end. Yeah, it, it is a lot to think about when you think about the timeline of the North Carolina General Assembly. There's a staggered amount of timelines where bills can be drafted, where those filings are happening, where they're being heard in committee. And the crossover deadline is officially May 4th. And what crossover means is no more bills can be added, except for bills that do not involve money and are not part of a legislative study. All election-related bills also are not affected by the crossover deadline. So while some of these bills we'll start to see come to resolution, whether that's good or bad, Anything that's finance or election related can continue past the crossover deadline on May 4th. And there's other ways for lawmakers to get around this failed crossover deadline. What they can do is they can gut an existing bill and replace it with the policies or language that they actually want. 
and North Carolina has become famous for one of those bills. Back in 2013, 10 years ago, there was the motorcycle abortion bill, which originally passed the crossover deadline as a motorcycle safety bill. Of course, you wanna make sure motorcyclists are safe. And what they did was completely gut that bill and put in abortion legislation and policies that would restrict bodily autonomy in North Carolina. And that was a decade ago. So I'm sure we're gonna see a really invigorated version of that this legislative session. One other thing to note is that the budget is coming. And on March 27th, Governor Cooper signed House Bill 76, Access to Healthcare Options which is Medicaid expansion. That is amazing, it is huge. It is a momentous moment for every organization and activist that has been mobilizing and working to make sure Medicaid expansion can happen for over 600,000 people across North Carolina. We're the 40th state to expand Medicaid. And the thing is, it comes with a catch. The North Carolina state budget must also pass for Medicaid expansion to happen. That was the caveat and Governor Cooper knew it was important to pass Medicaid expansion. But what we'll see now is these legislative bills that didn't work out in the traditional committee setting or might've failed to pass or come to resolution and be filed by this crossover deadline being trojaned into the budget because we know we must pass it. One of those will be SB 89, Y'all were talking about it earlier, which would ban certain election funding sources for under-resourced communities. That might not pass the traditional way as a bill, but we're certainly anticipating to see it in the state budget this year. Thank you for all that information. And listeners, we're we're familiar with these strategies. You know, we keep telling you we fought these bills before, summer after summer, winter after winter. And it's because they keep rebuilding them into these new bills, putting them into other bills, putting them into our budget. And so it's it's really important that we're we're fighting these bills in whatever form they end up in whenever they they show up. So thank you, Joselle, for for joining us and telling us a little bit more about how this 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 legislation has already grown to be more encompassing since we've started this episode. No problem. Thanks for having me. And I just want to remind folks, while we might see some legislative losses in the near future, that won't stop our pro-voter movement. We're going to double down on our organizing efforts across North Carolina in the next few months and into the next year as we look at the presidential election in 2024 and beyond. Exactly. We're not giving up anytime soon. Thanks, Giselle. I'm so glad that Giselle was able to join the show and give us that important information. Agreed. We have to make sure that we elevate the voices of everyday North Carolinians to the General Assembly and remind them that we are not going back. Exactly. Jim Crow 2.0 legislation has no place in North Carolina and no place in our elections. These attempts to suppress our votes and sow confusion our elections are going to stop now. 2024 is going to be whatever we make of it, not what our lawmakers choose to. Now that you've heard it from us and you've heard it from some of your fellow voters, we need to make sure our legislators hear it from you. Exactly. We need as many voices as we can to bring attention to these bills. That's why we're asking you to reach out to your lawmakers today. I know, I know. How do I even do that? How do I even talk to my lawmaker? Well, don't worry. We actually made it really easy. Yes, we did. You can head to our website at dimnc.co. 
slash Jim Crow 2 to use our email template and send a message to your lawmaker. It's as easy as entering your email and pressing send. Of course, you can add whatever you want to your message and customize it. We encourage you to share your story. Yes, it's really that easy. Just visit our website. You can use our own action template or add in your own story and send a quick message demanding that your NC senators and representatives oppose these attempts to suppress access to the ballot and defund our elections. Yes, please send a message, y'all. Our lawmakers clearly need to hear from everyday voters. Mm, maybe they could try listening, too. Mm, what an idea. Right now, our lawmakers could be strategizing on how to pass these bills by any means necessary. That means building them into other bills, maybe renaming them, including them in our state budget, or reimagining them if they don't succeed this time. So remember, we have to stop Jim Crow 2.0 in whatever its final form is, by any means necessary. We had to remember that the fight for democracy never ends. As 2024 comes closer, the attacks will come closer to home too. That's right, Sakari. So listeners, stay vigilant. We've got a lot on the radar to look out for and see. We do, but most importantly, stay updated. We'll be posting regular updates to our social media and email lists, giving you all the info on what the bills mean for you as an NC voter. To sign up for action alerts, visit dimnc.co alerts. Once you sign up for our action alerts, you'll get notifications on all the bills that are moving through our legislature and what you can do to help. And don't forget to send that email. Until next time, NC. Until next time. Connect with us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at DemocracyNC. Or you can visit our website at democracync.org.